Welcome to the Dare to Pivot podcast, a resource for inspiration and encouragement while you're on your path to purpose. The Dare to Pivot podcast is hosted by Wakia Hayward, that's me, and Barbara Wade, two middle-aged sisters who are passionate about having honest, open conversations with each other and special guests about faith, transparency, and living a life of purpose. The Dare to Pivot podcast is rooted in the Christian faith, and we believe that we are all made for a reason and with intention. However, it's up to us to pursue our purpose. By exploring the four foundational pillars of DARE, which are decisions, actions, results, and evaluations, we're hoping that women will be motivated to actively pursue their own purpose journeys. Join us as we learn together that it's never too late to be great. Okay. Okay. So, hi, Barbara. How are you? Hey, Wakia. I'm doing well. So, What's going on this week? And we are going to be talking about something. <laughs> no, we, okay, no, seriously. Okay, so we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I was thinking about like, current events, and I, but I was really thinking about, you know, this is February, so... Um, you know, right now, you know, you be paying attention to TV and everything and how obviously this is Black History Month, so we got a lot of activities going on with that. So I think one of the things I was I was thinking about the other day was how do you look at being a black woman in this time? Like, you know, like you know, I was talking to my brother, me and my brother was talking about how. In today's time, we have gone so far, you know, you know, we've gone, black people have just gone so far. And I was like, well, yeah, we've gone far, but I still feel like we have a little ways to go, obviously. Um, but specifically as black women, like, you know, what are those things that you feel like that you are just about this amazed that has happened in your lifetime? Mm. And um what do you hope to see happens in your children's lifetime, like for your daughter? Wow. Okay. <laughs> A couple of things come to mind right away. One are, uh, in my lifetime, the acceptance of, to some degree, natural hairstyles in the professional workplace. Yes. I remember afros. Um, shorter ones, more tame, I guess, respectable ones. It still wasn't in the professional workplace, though. I remember it being um, um, certain jobs, it was okay, but not in boardrooms, not in um, commercials, actors and actress, well, actresses wearing their hair natural. Mm. Um, I just didn't see it growing up. And so I never even thought about having natural hair. Never even thought about it because I never saw it. It, it. To me, it seems like it wasn't offered. I never saw it so that I thought, hey, I, I actually have hair like that and I can rock it like that and move on with all the other choices and decisions I'm making for my life. I never even saw natural hair as a choice. And so now 
that that is not even a thing. I know it's still a struggle and all places aren't accepting. And honestly, I don't think it's just the hair. I think it's the, you know, cultural wrapped all into, you know, sometimes it's the hair issue, but I never foresaw it getting where it is right now. And that is a uh, very refreshing for me and exciting. And um, so later in life, I embraced it as opposed to it being the only thing I know. So I have a goddaughter that's 24 and she's already said, my daughter will never know anything but rocking her natural hair. Wow. And she, uh, I grew up, well, she and her, uh, me and her mom, her college friends. So we never had that conversation. So to hear her at age 24 feeling that way um, when she went through the perms, because that's what her mom knew, but she decided, you know, I'm going to wear my hair natural and go on that journey. And it's one of her life goals that when she becomes a mom, her daughter won't know any other way. So that is progress for me. So with that, with, with, so you transitioned into your natural hair though, right? Because you said it wasn't necessarily something that was accepted or something seen when you right. first, you know, entered the right. So right. How, when you transitioned into your natural hair, what did that feel like to you? Like how, you know, what did that feel like to you? Because I think about it, right? I, I totally agree. I think where it's like millennials and um, people like that, I think, you know, it's easier for them because they're going to grow up into this moment. But right. people are older and now deciding to make that change. And you remember, we've had someone in common who's done that, right? And it was hard for that person to transition into that look. So what did that look like for you? Um, for me, it was, it was rather... Um, uh what is the word i'm looking for i want to say funny but it's not funny it was the fact that the hairstyles i could wear once i got totally but all the relaxed hair grew out was the same style that i was using these little pink hard rollers when i was in college to roll my natural my relaxed hair into these curls and it took me 20 years 25 years later to realize that i already had those curls <laughs> and i remember that i would i mean saturday was a thing with these um hard rollers and i had to put so many in my head and it was heavy and then i had to sit under the dryer and i did not i literally did not know that I had natural hair on my head that grew these curls. Really? I didn't even know that. I didn't. And so in my late 40s, when I realized, oh my goodness, this is the hair I was laboring over when I was in college and I already had it. I was just relaxing it. And so that moment was just, I had to laugh because I felt it was the silliest thing. Like, why didn't anybody tell me? Like, I just, I just didn't, I, I had no idea. You had no idea. I had no idea. It's just, and so I have the picture. Um, it's where I took my senior portraits in college. And I said, I used to labor over that hair. And this is the hair that I have. <laughs> wow. So anyway, it was, I, I don't know how that lesson was missed on me. I have no idea. I even went to Howard University where I saw natural hair. What? So why didn't I understand Girl. that I had that hair? I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Other than the fact that I was in the business school and there was a certain image, you know, that's when I learned about what dressing for business was. And at that mm -hmm. time it was still the Navy blue suit. Even if you only had one suit, let that be your interview suit, keep it clean and make sure, you know, so it was that speech and getting rid of the asymmetrical hair styles. Cause I did, I was a teenager. Yes. So, you know, the salt and pepper hairstyle, yes, I, was, I was trying it. I was yes, trying it. I mean, yes. So it was getting rid of that and um, the more tame 
of more reserve, jewelry, minimalism, as opposed to piling on the chains and all of that. So learning all of that, I leaned more towards the business side and learning what it meant to be business. And it wasn't tailored at all. It was, this is what's acceptable in the professional place. And so I bought into that and that probably kept me from realizing that I even had options with my hair. I was more focused on all of the other concepts that I, I had to learn them all. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I probably focused and just believed that your hair needed to be straight, same length, you know, minimize the bangs, no hair color, keep it, you know, monochromatic. Um, not really, it was no place for individualism. I mean, that's wow. how it was taught. You just want to blend in. And um, so I bought into all of that. So yeah, I did not have that realization about the hair that I already had. So that was very interesting. <laughs> you know, and for me, you know, I think my journey is so different, right? As, at least when it comes out to hair, because of the fact of my medical condition, my, well, my hair fell out. So I went right into wearing wigs right away. Mm-hmm. And that alone, um, so let me just say, I guess it's like, so it's, it's, def- it's definitely different for uh, me or someone who has, you know, issues where, you know, where, where hair growth or whatever. So mm-hmm. what you do going to wear with, or you do the big chop and you cut your hair off, right? Mm-hmm. So where I do have the big chop, because I feel like my head sort of got that whole fragrance something going in the back where I don't do the whole, not in America. I don't wear, in America, I got to wear a wig. Now when I get out of America, you will see it just straight bald. But in America, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's how we know you're on vacation. Yeah. If it's straight ball, we know yeah. that you're out of the country Thanks. vacationing. And so we'll be happy for you. Yes. Um, but yeah, but you know, even just doing that to try to, you know, embrace the whole big chop or em- embrace, embrace, you know, wearing the wigs and everything like that. Um, you know, and I guess as a sister, it is definitely different. Well, I guess it's almost like the same, right? Because we sort of transition from weaves into just another area of fake hair. Mm-hmm. As um, so yeah, but I know it was really hard for me when I first decided to, you know, just one wear weeks full time or even chop all my hair off. It just right. wasn't, it wasn't a, um, it, it wasn't something. I remember when I first started wearing wigs, you know, you seen like those really, really, really fake wigs out there. So it was hard to, you know, figure that whole thing out and try to figure out how to, how to wear that, that, that hair and still be comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. uh, in this place, right? Because where you have learned to be comfortable with your natural hair, I have had to learn to be comfortable without my natural hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And still feel proud of who I am and what I'm doing. And yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, def- it's definitely hard. Like it's definitely a, it's like a growth process no matter how you do it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the second part of your question, what do I hope my, is uh, different from my daughter yes. or, or something she gets to experience in her lifetime? Mm-hmm. Not being the only minority in the room, like Ooh, that, yeah. that is not the checklist. It gets closer to there are qualified employees, candidates that deserve to be in the room, they've been hired to be put into the room. And so it's no longer looking around and you realize I'm the representation. Wow. And I want her to experience that. I can't say that I feel that I'm there. I still feel like the token every once in a while and check the box, double minority woman and, um, uh, African-American. So um, I want her to feel like she genuinely is there because she's qualified and the other people in the room are there because they're qualified. And I don't care if they're all minorities. I don't care which countries they're from. So you don't have that bias. Oh, you know, of course, there's Asian Indians here because they're right. the smartest people at science, and you know those biases that 
we've grown to experience, if they're all minorities, then doggone it, let's just believe that for whatever you're gathering for, they're the most qualified people to be in the room to do whatever they're doing. And I would love for her to be able to experience that. Um, so I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> wow. Because I believe she would genuinely be important to um, experience it and, and feel it. Feel that it's not even a topic. Because right now, I do think some young people, the millennials, think it's not a topic because it's just not PC to talk about it. So they don't want to talk about it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Because they've learned how to be friends. You know, they've had opportunities to have friends of different races and socioeconomic groups. So they're more comfortable with it. But yeah. then in the, in the professional places, um, I want them to recognize that that um, their attitude does not necessarily um, permeate in the professional place. And they may have to be intentional about it, but hopefully not. Hopefully we advance far enough that the qualified folks are in the room. But it's just going to take work, continued work, because I don't think we're there yet. Wow, that is so good. That's so good. I agree with you. I think it would be wonderful to get to a place where it's not even up for discussion. It's just, you know what I'm saying? Well, you don't even feel it. Right. Right. I would love to know what that feeling is. And, and, I, and it, in this moment, it made me think about, I wonder if um, our parents' generation are thinking about things that we don't even think are a thing. So let's just say we make travel plans for the most part. And we don't think about whether we'll be allowed on the plane or we'll be allowed to rent a car or we'll be allowed to take whatever transportation we choose hey, to get on the daggone cruise ship. You know, we yeah. don't think about that. We figure out what we could afford. We book that mug, we find that date and we roll it. Go, go. And what's your that like we ain't gonna get on that plane? Exactly. But you know, we have, um, and we're not worried about, you know, the race of the pilot. Yeah. Oh, it's a whole bunch of us right. minorities on here. So this one might crash. You know what I mean? The conspiracy right. theories of just that fear that I'm not saying is not real, but I don't believe we experienced it the way our parents and certainly our grandparents experienced it. They had to make decisions based on these boundaries and they were real. They were real boundaries to stay safe. Wow. And so we have the privilege of not feeling that way. Not everywhere. Look, we're not crazy, but we have the privilege <laughs> of not, <laughs> not feeling that way just in general right. about going somewhere different. We, we don't think about not being allowed to go in stadiums we don't we don't even think about certain restaurants right. we don't even think about it and they had to because it was a matter of life or death for them so i, I do know that um you can get to a place that you don't have that life experience that the generation before had i just want the millennials to now know there's still work to do even though they don't feel all of the weight and the pressure that we'd have, they still have work to do. And I believe they're up for it. I do, I really do. I really think they really don't see why it was a thing in the first place. You yeah. know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking about that. Right? I was like, okay, so right now we're both parents of adults. We're parents mm -hmm. of young adults. So mm -hmm. Just even some of the questions, you know, the conversations I have with my son, it's something I feel like he's not taking things as seriously because it's just not something he's had to experience. Right. Right. And yes. so it's almost like, how do you go about showing the importance of our history and our culture, um, but also understanding that it's important to, you know, blend them together and to accept everything that's happening. You know what I'm saying? So like, you yes. know, other than... If it wasn't for this whole Black Lives Matter movement that has happened over the last couple of years, and, and it's being so much in your face, if you, like in my case, when my son grew up military, so you don't really have that, you don't really feel it as much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. He just right. didn't experience it. It just wasn't something he experienced. He 
he's always had, uh, you know, multicultural relationships in his world because that's how he was raised. Um, it's just definitely different. It's definitely different. I always look at them and think about what challenges the kids of today are going to, you know, the, the young adults of today will soon be parents or are parents and they're going to raise their children. I'm trying to figure out like, what is there going to be their thing? You know what I'm saying? And what I'm, what I'm hopeful about is if that more broad uh, perspective of people can exist in the military environment and culture, then that leads me to believe that it can exist outside of those that grew up in the military, um, military environment. And what that takes is diversity again. <laughs> so the diversity, uh, you know, so the, uh, the military families, you know, uh, you know, my experiences, you know, the parent, the active duty parent retires, whatever city they, you know, found is their best one. You know, they may have kids that are still with them when they retire. And so then the kids just maybe finish high school or start college from that location. And then they just start sharing their experience. And so we, those that grew up outside of a military family, outside the military culture, can learn a whole lot from the things that they don't even notice and look at. The things that don't bother them, I mean, that can-do spirit, that flexibility, like, okay, well, we didn't expect it to be the same next month as it was this month, because right. I'm just used to dynamic change, you know, right. so it's not a thing to me. That's not hard. I expected it to change. <laughs> um, so it's just learning so much from that, that the, the, the experiences that they have. That's one example of, um, I would say, strengths in a culture that's not related to socioeconomics or race. Yes. It, and so I think that, I mean, just that idea that someone else's perspective of how to get things done can benefit the um, neighborhoods and it can benefit the workplace. And yes. so the more we integrate um, and have diversity in people's backgrounds, beyond race and socioeconomics, the more we will all benefit. Ooh, child, when you running for president? Honey, I'm, I'm supporting my girl, Kamala. <laughs> I know that's right, listen. I mean, you know, it, it sounds so easy in truth, right, just to integrate and do these things. And as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, well, geez, you know, well, how was it, you know, uh, for me and my family? I didn't really, because it's something that you don't even think about. Like it wasn't something that I necessarily thought about as growing up being a, you know, well, um, as a military wife. And it wasn't something, it wasn't like a conscious thing, right? I never yeah. really even thought to say to my son, like, you know, this is a, you know, about, you know, the, I, you know, we didn't talk about stuff like, I'm, I'm trying to think of the things that you would think about to try to divide us. Like, you know, we grew up army, but we didn't have, we didn't hate Navy. Like it just wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't a it, it just wasn't a thing to at least in me and my household, it wasn't a thing for us to uh talk about or even have this type of division. So I remember as we as my son got older, we've had to have other conversations when he finally left to go to leave away from the from the family. Because when he went to college, he went to college in a in a more um white area so mm-hmm. it was very tricky it was you know then now we gotta have conversations right we gotta mm-hmm. have conversations mm-hmm. like okay sir you know you're doing this you know be careful here you gotta be you gotta be mindful about this and and everything like that but and i remember when i first started talking to him about it he really just did not understand it he just mm-hmm. thought I was over exaggerated like and i think he even told me like this is not a, he's like this is not this is not a thing <laughs> like this is no longer like what are you talking about like this is not you know I ain't got to worry about that. Right. And so I love the fact that he is so open and he, and he's been able to sort of see past those divides. You know what I'm saying? But I can tell you the first time he got, uh, I guess not necessarily pulled over, but got pulled up on and he felt 
like he had been a little harassed, it was mm -hmm. mind blowing. He was completely mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Like just, I could still picture the shell shocked face, <laughs> you know, of that. And all I can say is, huh? Yeah, well, this is what we sort of talked about. Right, but it's still hurtful. Yeah, it's hurt. It's hurtful for you as a mom. Yeah, because you did say it, and it actually still did happen. Yes. And then you hurt. You're hurt for them when they realize it is a thing. It's a thing. It yeah. is a thing. Yes. But you know what's so funny is he bounced right back because I remember one of the things that one of the things I mean, me and my husband has always told him. I remember my husband saying this so much. When we, when, you know, when he, especially when he was younger, you know, the police are your friend, like the police are your friend. You know, they are always here to hurt. They're always here to um, help you. They're not here to hurt you. They are your friend. So even after he had that, even after my son had that incident, he still bounced right back and was still like, oh, but you know, he felt some kind of way initially, but he was still like, you know, I know in truth, you know, like the police are not here to hurt you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, just that resiliency. But I find that to be something that's with most millennials, I think. I think most millennials are just more pliable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, to be honest, we put them through a lot. And I say, look, I'm going to do the collective we because I don't want to be yeah. by myself. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they have, they have, I'm, I'm trying to think, unique things for them are the school drills for the shooters. Yeah. I've never had active shooter drills. Now, I'm old enough to have done the, um, the bomb shelter thing, which I think was close. You shut the door and you go under your desk. Mm -hmm. um, and we used to do drills and it was the siren that would come on. I think it was like Wednesday afternoon. Oh so goodness. I'm old enough to experience that in elementary school. Um, but that's the, the longest, the, the earliest I have of that memory. But I've never had the active shooter drill. I've never had the fear of someone in this place that I'm working so hard to excel and um, met some great teachers and you know some of my 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 closest friends. So this place that I'm navigating that's really my whole world because school was everything. <laughs> uh, growing up, all my activities rotated around school. So I never had the situation where I anticipated someone, one of us, would come and turn a gun on us. I never had right. that fear. Never. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even through college, I never had that fear. And uh, so I can't imagine where they are um, growing up with those real possibilities. Um, didn't have 9-11 uh, in my school lifetime, in my childhood lifetime, trying to understand how someone could do that and how thousands of people can die in a matter of minutes. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I mean, because for me, war is war. We send our soldiers and unfortunately they don't, they don't all come back. And that was a place away. And I never had anyone in my generation where I even, you know, attended a farewell party to send anybody off. I've never gone to a military funeral for someone personally that I know. So that was still very detached to me. Right. Um, the, you know, Desert Storm and mm -hmm. Operation Desert Freedom, all of that. It was things I watched on TV and were very empathetic, but I still didn't see the personal side. I didn't see how the families were being affected back here because I didn't know any. Wow. And uh, being in private sector, I didn't work with any. So it was all stuff I watched on the news. So whatever you know, perspective of the war that was given on the news, that's what I saw. And then I was also a place in my maturation where I wasn't really watching the news. You know, I'm a young parent, right. you know, kind right. of thing. So it really wasn't really part of my life. And so um, them now having lived through different types of wars, their parents, and some of them have young enough grandparents <laughs> that are active duty. And then they have, um, you know, cousins and things of that nature where war and the ramifications of war are so up close and personal we've had an attack here on our own soil which has never happened before you know so 
they've had to learn a lot, adjust to a lot, process a lot, and still find a way to be confident, unique, and have a faith in God. Yes. And then also they have had the ramifications of the changes in relationships. And I'm not going to say breakdowns of relationships. I'm just going to say, because they've always existed. Yes. I've learned mm -hmm. <laughs> that unique relationships outside of marriage have always existed. Yeah. Um, and so now they're navigating, whereas I was a child of divorced parents, uh, my children are growing up with parents that did not have on either side of the family, there was no couple to look to, no grandparents or anything that still had a um, committed relationship. They mm -hmm. were, they're all alive, mm -hmm. but yeah. the grandparents aren't together. And um, so there's no couple to look to for a committed relationship in our family. And they're trying to figure out how to navigate relationships. And uh, so they have a lot. And I think they're doing a, a, a good a job as they can. I think they're excelling. I think that's where their, um, their flexibility and their openness, um, which I think can cross the line and kind of let, any, let anything go, right? They just, um, right? It's like, well, I've been just shown so much. Why do I need a boundary at all? Just let people be people. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, so there's, that's that option. <laughs> whatever whatever works um so yeah it's uh they got they have a lot yeah i'm very interested to see though how it all turns out like that's one of the things that i say all the time to my son um is i'm so interested to see how, how it turns out you know and how and what um being black in america looks like to him you know as he gets older and when he becomes a father you know what i'm saying like what is that gonna look like to him Right. And how we've gone so far in in these years, but you know how we still have so much further to go. And um, like like you said, just having being able to just walk around in your natural space and your natural place, and you know um, not being the only one in the, in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what I would love to see. I would really love to see. Where you don't have to have that that talk about how you still got to be the best one, you got to be better than, you know what I'm saying? Like you know that you got to be the best one. Talk, you know what I'm saying? Where you know you have to be the smartest one, you have to be the fastest, you have to be in order to get to succeed or to get to even to get in the room. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I would love to get to a place where, as a people holistically, that we do a better job would actually turn around and bringing each other out. You know what I'm saying? Like being a, a, just being that best example for each other. And while I know right now, um, you know, with all the stuff going on now with Black Lives Matter and with, you know, you know, you see Black History Month, like I said, everywhere. I almost wish that we did it more in our, locally in our communities where you start to see people who not only look like you, but they look like you because they grew up at the street with you and y'all been together for way back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I would love to see that more so you can recognize a community yeah not, yeah yes. not just like one or two of them made it out like i'm one of, i'm in that generation of one or two of us you know in that generation made it out but i still yeah. have a whole clan back you know what i'm saying yep. where they don't even have the desire to get up and move you have more people to visit when you go back okay. <laughs> than people to call and meet you for you know right. a, a lunch Yes. You're yes. like, oh, well, I'll see 50 people when I go back and I can't catch up with these two people because these two people are about their business. Yes. Yeah. And even though with your, even with my new clan of people that I hang with and talk to now, none of these people are people from way back. You know what I'm saying? Because the people from way back are still back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just don't have the desire. So I really wish that, um, and, I, and I pray that's what we see in my son's lifetime, my grandchildren's lifetime, is that, you know, more of us make it out and that making it out is the norm. 
And I think the only way that's going to happen is for those of us that have made it out to really get to the root of why the majority have not made it out and fix those systemic problems. Because the place doesn't need to be blown off the map. No. You know, Patterson, New Jersey doesn't need to be blown off the map. Not at all. Not at all. Baltimore doesn't need to be blown off the map. It's the systemic problems that make those two locations what they are. Exactly. <coughs> Excuse me, that continue to produce the lives that still are, are born into it and stay their whole lifetime until we fix those systemic problems. So for example, and this is what I think about all the time, for Baltimore, I know that the educational system is, I would say the root, no, one of the primary problems. Not the fact that no money is allocated. I believe it's misused. I think it's stolen. And um, mitigations to just pass kids along for the sake of continuing to get the money doesn't bother the right people enough for it to stop. Mm. And they know it. I do not believe that they don't know it. I believe they know it. And it's all about greed. And um, I, I do agree that the system has to incorporate social support, meaning there are kids that don't have either one of their parents. There are kids that don't sleep the same place every single night. There are some kids that just sleep on the street. I get it. They really do not have an adult caring for them. And it does not have to be a related adult. They just don't have an adult caring for them. And so there are kids raising themselves and figuring out things the way only kids can figure out things. Wrong, immature, incomplete, mm -hmm. um, lacking options, clarity, understanding because they're children. So social, those social challenges have to be addressed. And I, I know that in other cities, they've had successful charter schools that address those things. And um, if that's how it has to be done, it has to be done that way. But bottom line, through the education, changing, making that complete successful education process, then Baltimore will not be able to change the climate, the destructive climate that it has. And then, you know, and so I've been challenged on that. Well, why did somebody, why did kids shooting kids have anything to do with education? I'm not saying it has anything to do with education. It's a fall of their, um, just the, the whole um, expectation, the, the, the human, no, not expectation, the human need Mm -hmm. to be cared for has been wiped out, eliminated, um, manipulated, distorted, whatever word you want to use, absent. <laughs> I don't, you know, yes. for, for some kids, for some families, you know for saying? generations, yeah. for some generations, that lack of support has not been there. And so Yes, these lives continue to be created, but they're cre being created without the basic um, ability to meet their need of being cared for. And so when that happens after generations, you get what you get. You get a person that doesn't think like a regular person. They're thinking about fight or flight or both. Like trying to decide, do I flee or do I fight? And yeah. it's usually it's usually those two options. Right. Um, and uh, and yeah, and so you, it, it, there's a there's a whole new level of normalcy that is prevalent for generations now, and that cycle has to be broken. 
It really does. And um, so um, it can be done, but I think those of us that have gotten out have to figure out how to help because other people aren't going to see it and they're only going to care as either an income stream, money always comes to these big cities and they figure out how to steal it <laughs> or um, how to um, misuse their position in an attempt to help, but they, they profit one way or another. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a lot of work to do, but it, it, it can be done and it needs to be done by us. Well, I think that is a great space to say, you know, I guess in that case to encourage all of us then to try to figure out a way to go back and try to um, first identify the real issue. Right. And then work together to try to solve it. And, and I would say truthfully, even with that, come from a place of, you know, check your motives even when you decide to go back and do it, right? Because one thing we have learned from our volunteer experiences, right, is that the people who we're trying to go in and help, they know right away if you're being truth, truth you know, if, if you're coming from a place of authenticity or not. Right. right. So I think it's really important to really check your heart to decide if you will go back into these environments and if you can go in, if you will go back and try to help anybody, you know, check your motives. Because right. you're not fooling nobody. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And you're causing more harm right. by going in trying to pretend like you care. Like you say, going and steal the money or whatever. You're causing more harm. Right. So, you know, I think that is just a call for all of us to really think about the people we've left behind. Right. And, you know, and, and, and I always think, no, let's go back and at least give these babies a chance. Yes, yes. And I think about gifts. I was thinking about spiritual gifts and conversation, um, and, and, and maybe that's a, a term that might be a little daunting for folks, but even your abilities or your abilities, your, something you've identified that you actually do know you're good at, you know, either whether you're getting paid to do it now or not, there's something that I, I would like to think that all of us even if we don't want to admit it or you don't have to brag about it, you're real humble about it, but there's something that you know you're good at. I'm mm -hmm. thinking at least one thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and even if we don't get paid to do it right now, I wholeheartedly believe that it's that thing that you can utilize to help um, change the direction of our community. Mm. And um, there are some people that have the gift of money, like they can make it, they know how to make more, they know how to put it in a place where it become productive, meaning you can put the right structure around it so that it can be used for its intended purpose mm -hmm. and, and flow the way it needs to flow. Some people know that stuff, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, um wholeheartedly that can be used when you're rebuilding a community whether it's donated money government money uh, you know whatever whatever yes you know how to use it for intended purposes and so even that gift of having the knowledge and having the money they don't have to come from the same type of people but those kinds of things can be used to help the money that is available to go where it needs to go to be its most useful, become its most useful form. Because that's what we want money to do. We want to be able to spend it to produce something we need that will be useful. Just having the money isn't really useful. Right. <laughs> I think people, I think people that win the lottery, some of them figure that out. Mm -hmm. If I still don't figure out what to do with it, to either make me happy and a lot of time that involves they think giving it to a lot of people and then they literally do that give it to a lot of people and they all blow it yep. <laughs> so 
um, the money in its rare form of money, just like God doesn't need money. He needs us to, those that he's entrusted with it, to use it in the right way. That's what he needs us to do. So your point being is that take the gifts that we already have, that we're already naturally good at, and take those gifts and find a way to go back and help. Absolutely. You know, and, and use that gift to actually do something good with it and to change generations, not just our generation, but gener all the, you know, our community. Well, you know, when you have generations that are only 13, 14 years apart, mm -hmm. in our lifetime, being in our 40s and 50s now, we could still see two, three, two, three generations change. Easy. Even if we saw them expand to 16, 17, 18 years, I think that will be an improvement because we're helping young people understand that, um, well, one, they may not be using the, the need for relationships to compensate for other things. Um, and children that do come into the world where they're able, realizing they have a responsibility to be able to support them and even having the goal of how to do that outside of you know public assistance and um just being able to earn earn what you need to be able to take care of you and your family or not even feeling the pressure to have another family you know i actually get to make a choice about this thing i don't have to be you know a teen mom you know i don't i you know i'm about my education, I'm about something else. And they're able to get about that. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 um, uh, I think our lifetime, we could see lots of changes. We could, and I'm still very, very, very hopeful. Me both. Me both. I tell you, it's, it's exciting to me to think of what's going to happen next. And it makes me, it makes me more willing to get in there to try to help influence it. Yes. Um, yeah. And try to get in there just to influence it. And I feel like that's what we do when we come to on this podcast by just giving people nuggets and bringing, and bringing the, uh, bringing the community closer where you realize that we were just like them, you know what I'm saying? And we found, right. it, you know, take different steps, even though we came out, you know, scarred, <laughs> scarred, and you know, and, and, and in some cases bloody, but we came out, you know what I'm saying? And like, right. get out, like you can't get out. Like there's a way with a lot of hard work, with different connections, with um, a lot of prayer. Mm -hmm. and, you know, either you praying or someone praying for you. I mean, you can't get out and you can change the dynamics of what corporate America looks like. Like we can make what we can make corporate America like our neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Like that is a thing. Right. Um, and it doesn't just have to be BET. Like it doesn't just have to be, you know, black home. It can be any space. You know, we right. change that. We change that. We have the ability to change that. And I think that's just what um, I'm so looking forward to seeing this in my life. Right. It's, it's the impact, the ripple that, um, the ripple that you know that I cause just from using my gifts to go back out and help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And it's messy business. And you know, it, it, it's hard work. It's not like it's easy. So, you know, but I think it's something that we have all we are all charged to do. Right. As we sit down here and pop our collars and you know wear our red bottoms, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who? Um, Who? <laughs> you know, as we sit and do all this, we have to remember, you know, all the people who paved the way for us to get there and remember the people we left as we got here. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of the things that I always think about. Like, who are the people who I didn't bring with me? And you deal with that survivor's guilt, but you have to get to a place where you can go back, you can still help, and you can um, use what you have to bring some type of, some type of hope mm -hmm. to other people. Absolutely. That's it. That's and it. thankful and thankful people and the people that are in our own personal black history. I start to reflect on that more and more, those that were part of my story. Mm -hmm. Um, to create who I am, good, bad, and the ugly. But um 
It's just there are people in my history to create me and who I am today that I'm very thankful for. So yes. Yeah, because uh, you just, I was just saying, thinking about that, right? You said your personal history. I'm thinking, just imagine how crazy it looked to go from the salt and pepper haircut to rocking your natural and being comfortable in our environment. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is huge. That's a huge walk. Right. That's not easy at all to do. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, like, and it, it is possible. And it's just one of those things where it comes with just understanding who you are and knowing your truth and then being brave enough to accept it, having the courage to accept it. Right, right. And getting up and getting it. Like getting up and, you know, under, over, around, or through. Get it. Mm-hmm. Get it. Get it. Like that's, <laughs> that's the model. Under, over, around, or through. Get it. You know? Just get it. <laughs> I mean, whatever that is. I mean, at this point, I mean, that's, that's, that's truly, truly, truly what I see and what I think. So, I think this right here was a nice, easy chat. Always. It's always a nice, easy chat with you. I, listen, ma'am, I try. Look, thank you. Thank you. Look, I realize that I, it only takes me to ask a couple of questions that I can get you going on almost any topic. So, um... <laughs> it only take a minute. Listen, listen. I was like, you know what? Yeah, some, you know, some of these things. You know, but I, I just think this right here is very timely and very relevant, especially as we have these young adults that we are still parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, or shepherding at this point, maybe, right? And at this point in their life, it's more like a shepherding thing, just trying to help them keep the parameters in place. Um, <laughs> you know, just to try to make sure that we continue to live by example, that we continue to lead by example. Right. And we still be mindful of it, that even though we've raised our children and we've done the things that our walk isn't over. No, indeed. Thank goodness. Because now we know better, so we can go back now and do it right with all the people, you know, because we have our children, we did a lot of mistakes. So. Do better. Amen to that. <laughs> now, now we just want to go back and do it right. You know, when, <laughs> Look, just better. I will talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.